we are going to spend most of our time financially off course. We're going to spend most of our time with our diet and our exercise and our hydration and our rest and our meditating and our all the stuff that we are encouraged to do. Most of the time we are going to be off course. That's the human condition. So what's this podcast all about, this financial sobriety thing we're doing? It certainly isn't a traditional conversation about money. There's lots of great people in our industry that talk the traditional game. This is going to be a very unconventional conversation about those three unbelievably complicated relationships that when you put them all together, you don't necessarily think of them this way, but the relationship that you have with money, the relationship you have with your people that mean the most to you, and then the relationship that you have with the person in the mirror. You mean those three relationships go together? They do, and it's a very complex interrelationship between them. And when those get a little bit out of whack, interesting things happen. Do you know anything about that? We should probably introduce ourselves. Who oh, are you? good idea. Jim Gephardt. And I'm Matthew Grishman. I'm your author of the book, Financial Sobriety, and we are going to have some great conversations, so stick around. So what's on the gratitude list today? I don't feel very grateful today, but you're forcing it the freak out of me. Yes, if that's I, what we do. I appreciate that's why that. we do it for yeah, our let's new slow listeners. This down. Good, good idea. Why do we do this? Well, I woke up uh, feeling an incredible lack of gratitude today. I had my head literally as my eyes opened up, telling me everything that was wrong with life today. Everything. Sure. Everything. Why do we do this? This is. I'm. I'm cutting to, to the chase to flush that. Thank you. To start over. To, that is the whole point. Is when you wake up feeling like that. Yeah. And wherever you are in your day, whether you wake up feeling that way, whether it's the middle of your day, whether it's the end of your day, and you feel like that, what does it what does it do? It gives me an opportunity to start over. Right. The science behind this is there is a literal biochemical cascade that happens, and maybe we can get some prominent we'll get, let's get scientists doc, in let's here get sometime. Rishi. We'll get Dr. Rishi in to talk to about talk that. about that very biochemical cascade that happens with endorphins and dopamine and all kinds of stuff that I don't know what I'm talking about, but it flushes the deck. It it helps remove the anxiety, the fear, the frustration that is causing you to feel the way you felt this morning. For me, it slows down the rate at which these circular thoughts happen in my head, right? When I wake up feeling the way I felt today, my head spins, it's, it's circular. It goes almost like, have you ever, I used to doodle a lot in grade school and in middle school and in high school and in college and most of my adult life. And I used to make these doodles where it was like this little outward spiral where I would start in the middle and just slowly spiral out with a doodle. Are you familiar with the pattern that I'm talking about? That, I think so, yes. Yes. That's what my thoughts feel like in the morning sometimes, where I can latch on to some negativity, some negative aspect of something happening within the people, places, and things in my life that are not pleasing to me, but then it just it spirals and it gets bigger and bigger and more encompassing, and the negative thought process just goes down a really dark path Gratitude interrupts that. And awesome. It, and it creates pause. It's almost like, like I just, I, I get to feel it let go. It yeah. comes back, but I let go. So I've got to stay in gratitude today. So we might talk gratitude a lot awesome. in the studio today. I'm, I'm going to poke at you about something. Yeah, go ahead. Do you think you're alone? <laughs> think or feel? Either. Do you feel as though you're alone in that vortex? Not, not in the moment of, but in the context of... 
Do you think many other people feel that way or you're you're a rare breed that feels that way? I feel like I'm the rare breed that feels that way. Right. I know I'm not. You know you're not. I but know you I'm feel not. like you feel are. It when it when it's happening sure. and even after it's happening like walking in the studio. You guys all you're good. You guys are all good. You guys have probably had a great day already. You've probably exercised and eaten right and meditated and you know, just looked at yourselves in the mirror and said God dang it, I love you, right? That's how I feel often, that I'm the only one who's not capable of doing that sometimes in the morning. This little experiment of ours here in the Financial Sobriety Studio proves to me that we're not alone. How we feel, we're not alone. So thank you for bringing gratitude in today because I'm starting to feel things that I'm more grateful for. And, and I'm especially grateful for how we turn it into a verb, how it's it's something we have to do. I'm grateful that my son's coming home today. Yeah. Miles has been away for three weeks and two days, but who's counting? It's been a while. Normally, if you are a pilot going through training at a traditional training center around the country, this is a two to three month component of the training. It's the most difficult part of the training. This is your certified flight instructor training, as well as the commercial certified flight instructor training. My 22-year-old son, who was scared going down because... It's been described to him like Hell Week for Navy SEALs. And sure enough, on day one, they dressed him down like he were a Navy SEAL going through Hell Week. He was told lots of mean things and not so nice things. And you might as well just pack your stuff and go home because you're not going to make it. Fortunately, he recognized the mind games of what's going on here. It was still hard for him. And he was practicing a lot of daily gratitude. He was. <laughs> he certainly was in his own way. I, for a minute, I thought he might come home in the first couple of days, but he, he put his head down. He did it. He took it. He didn't listen to their words. He, they were trying to tear his confidence down because what he realized a week or two later when he called me was, you know, Dad, this is, this is major life and death stuff. When I'm an instructor sitting in the right seat of a Cessna with a kid who's never flown an airplane before, I have to be able to save our lives under any circumstance that he could put us in. Pretty much immediately. Pretty much from the moment we yeah, take off. I'd, I'd put that in the life or death category. Yes, yes. And given the weight of that and the fact that he felt that, he, understood, wonderful. he understood why they need to weed people out from the beginning. So the level of intensity is insane. And my boy did it. That is awesome. A six-hour oral exam followed by a two-and-a-half-hour flight that I tracked and followed him on this little Adsby app that I have and... Boy, I hope they give him potty breaks in that six hours. He did. He got ten, three 10 minute potty breaks. Three. Three. Three 10 minute breaks. Man, I used to really enjoy watching him play baseball. Now I get to watch in a very different way on a screen with radar and all the other planes around him. And it's, so that, it's awesome. That oral exam, I mean, is I, I've got this picture like sitting before the high tribunal. <laughs> the only thing I, in my experience that I can compare that to is a certified financial planning exam which was four hours on a Friday afternoon mm. and eight hours on Saturday. Oof. Not an oral exam, written exam. And as with any story, what have we always said? When you're telling your story about right. you're, miles, you're I'm in my head trying to figure sure. out, do I have any, I'm not a commercial airline pilot. Do I have anything relevant to that in my own experience that is that grueling? And I will never forget walking out of the four-hour session on Friday of the certified financial planning exam in July of 2004, but, you know, 
who's keeping track of that. 2000. Wow. That was almost mm. last century ago. Uh-huh. And I came home and I said to Beth, I'm not going tomorrow. There's no point. <laughs> I, they got everything in my brain today. <laughs> you got no more. You're empty. There's no, there's, what, could they, what, could they, what could they possibly do for eight hours tomorrow that they didn't already exhaust me for in four hours today? What's your gratitude today? The rain. Mm. The rain. It is an absolutely sloppy, miserable day out there today, and it is delicious. Were you dancing yesterday? Oh, it is. The rain this weekend was here in Northern California where, I mean, we haven't seen rain since. 1946. I don't, yeah, since I don't know when. It's fire season. You know, it's just water is becoming the most precious resource here west of the Mississippi. And I bought some water futures this morning. Oh, good. good. Tell me how, because I have a long <laughs> list of people that would like to. We could have a whole show on that. Water futures? They don't exist. Oh. You can buy every other commodity known to man and woman, but you can't buy water. That's probably because humans haven't figured out how to own it yet, privatize it and securitize it and package it and profit from it. <laughs> have faith. Our dear, our have dear, faith. It's our, coming. Our, one of our newest listeners, Steve-O. You know who you are when you're listening. We've talked about this for 20 years. And Steve and I have not figured out a way to acquire water, we might which have. is very interesting if you think about it. Yeah. Right? Anyway. Well, I do think when Coca-Cola got in the water business and called it Aquafina, what they were really telling us was water is the end the end as we know it. Like, that's what Aquafina, I think, What really does Desanti mean? Desani. We'll figure that one out. Mm. Maybe that's Italian for Gratitude. Water, the end of water as we know it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> So just the fact that it's raining yeah. and there's a break in the heat and my goodness, it is wonderful to take messy drive up here today. And you could see it because it really wasn't raining much at my house. But as I was driving up today, it was like, oh, that looks really stormy. Mm. That's fantastic. <laughs> and that's always entertaining being a, an upstate New York to see how people drive in one of the early rains of the season. Because what happens here, for those of you that are not, in a climate where it doesn't rain for months and months and months, that first rain that happens, there's just kind of a soapy, oily, greasy residue that that hits the roads. And it, it can turn some of the roads into, you know, a, a lovely ice skating rink. Slip and slide? Yeah. Yeah. Only with, you know, two, three, four, five, six, eight, ten thousand pound vehicles. It's really it's <laughs> that can slip and slide. It's far. very entertaining. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. Well, I'm also grateful to see you in a quarter zip. It's it's officially when it's raining, it's quarter zip season. Yeah. I haven't I'm, seen you in long sleeves and cow. I don't I don't know what Ace is trying to do today. He might be trying to hang meat in here today. Because mm -hmm. my hands are my I mean my hands are like I need a hot cocoa. <laughs> All right. So gratitude is always a verb. Yes. I'm lest, lest we forget it's a verb. And I'm still grateful for inflation. I know I caught you off guard with that one a couple episodes ago. Grateful for inflation. Yeah. Not in a I'm glad it's here kind of grateful, but grateful in the fact that you and I get to talk about it some more and that you and I have been talking about it for so long. And it seems like very few people were willing to listen until the headlines brought it back. Well, and, and we will be talking about it long after it's gone and back on D7 of the yes. paper. Yes. For anybody that reads a newspaper or what? way down on the scroll on your phone. Yeah. Because it'll it'll go away. It's a tiresome story that won't command much attention. It'll be, you know, it'll be something else. But it's real. And as we sit here in studio today, in about an hour's time or so, even maybe less, the Fed should announce what is likely to be another significant increase in interest rates. 
And what has been so interesting, and let's puff it up here a little bit. You sure. and I have been talking about inflation for a very long time. Yes. In the context of that is the silent killer in a financial plan. And how many times have you and I been meeting with an individual client and we talk about the fact that I just did it yesterday with one of our longest standing clients. And it was another lesson in every dollar that you need at 62, if we maintain 3% inflation, which historically is higher than what we've had, and the Fed, Federal Reserve's made it very clear that they want to bring inflation back down into that 2% range, mm -hmm. if not 3% range, that you need $2.44 when you're 92 to maintain your purchasing power. This is a very accomplished accountant who looked at me like, wow, oh, that's a really, huh. I said, the good news is that of the hundreds and hundreds of plans that you and I have done over the years, there isn't one that would be able to withstand 9% inflation. Zero. Right. I don't know how many plans we've done over the years that could absorb and withstand a 4 or 5% inflation factor. Not many. Long term. No, not many. I mean, you, you really need to check all three of the anti-inflation boxes that you and I have talked about here recently, right? The idea that you've had home equity for many, many years, that you've owned stock equity for many, many years, and you've lived well below your means, meaning the goes-ins has historically been a lot more than the goes-outs in your personal budgeting. In your earning years. Right. Earning years, irregardless of how those earnings are coming in, whether it's traditional paycheck, investment income, business income, social security income, whatever. Babysitting. Ba babysitting right. income. I, Car detailing. I need to step that up. I've had rookie numbers with that recently. Golf, you know, golf winnings. R right. So all, all of the goes-ins, regardless of where you are in life, if they're more than the goes-outs, you, you've created a natural buffer in your cash flow strategy. That's very un-American. And it, it is very un-American. It's, it's almost bordering on communist if, you know, you read the headlines on what we're supposed to do to be good Americans. God forbid we save and not spend. But if you check those three boxes and you've built that insulation for yourself, you can withstand a greater level of inflation than someone who hasn't. But even with that said, even getting to 4 or 5% long-term inflation is going to be tough for anybody. In terms of a sustainable plan. Sustainable. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. As we've talked about the, you know, the three things that the Fed can do, right, the traditional thing that the Fed can do, they're doing it. And they're doing it today, it, most likely, is they are going to raise the, the Federal Reserve rate, which is what banks borrow at, right? That's the first lever. The second lever is, and this does not get any attention, you would have to really dig to find this, they can change the amount of reserves that a bank has to hold. So in the context of everyday people like you and me, we have emergency savings. Right. That emergency savings for a bank is mandated at the federal level in terms of what it is in percentage terms for a bank. Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> I knew you were going there. Oh, wouldn't that be cool in addition to our five to thrive principles if we added a sixth principle? Oh, that's not what I thought you were going to say. Well, I know. I what thought I you were going to say was the government mandates yes. that individuals yes. have a minimum 7% or whatever emergency it is. required savings or you're penalized. I mean, that, that would be lovely. Right. I try to throw out the rules and how could we apply that to the principles of living that you and I try to live by? Yeah. It's not very well talked about in terms of the Federal Reserve, you know, changing the requirements on the emergency reserves that a bank's supposed to keep. 
And I had, had a very interesting conversation yesterday with clients. This husband and wife, they are in uh, the uh, dental equipment sales and financing business, mm. both. The husband is for mom and pop one store dental shops. Okay. The wife is for large, massive dental groups, you know, 200 to 2000 location dental groups. We had a really interesting conversation around what is business like for them and what do you see as the horizon for your respective business, your sure. income, right? Sure. The husband talked about how, well, it's a little bit, a little bit rough, you know, during COVID rates were at pretty much zero. zero. So yeah. we were able to have these dentists buy equipment and finance it at 1.95%. And they had two rounds of PPP money burning, you know, hole in their pocket. So they were out there buying everything they could possibly buy. Mm -hmm. Now he said rates for this type of equipment are at 895, 8.95%. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, I know we're really, you know, in your personal sandbox here, but do you think dentists are going to be buying more or less equipment in the next year or two with rates where they are? Oh, they're not going to buy anything. Sure. Number one, they bought it already. Right. And I said, well, here's a little known fact is the banks that have been lending that money are going to have less money to lend. Rates are going to be higher and there's going to be less money to lend. He said, what do you, what do you mean? I said, well, one of the other levers that no one ever talks about is this is this condition where the Federal Reserve gets to control how much reserves banks have to have. In COVID, that went to zero. That scares me more now than it ever has, what well, we went through in, with COVID. Yeah. With what I know now about the Dodd-Frank Act that a client who, just who, brought who, to who? Uh -huh, that a client just brought to my attention. I think this is going to show up. You said that this is something that's not talked about a lot. It's not. It's going to be. Because I got an email over the weekend from a client that I am still yet to respond to because of how much it caught me off guard. The fact that I didn't know this about the Dodd-Frank Act that was enacted in 2010. Well, you probably did, but, you know, a couple, two, three things have happened since then. Possibly. But this I'm pretty sure I didn't know about. You and I have spent a lot of time talking about how we haven't let the system fully deal with the choices we've made as a society, with especially with the mortgage crisis. I mean, we, we felt the pain. You felt pain. I felt pain. Everybody in this room felt pain. As a society, there were taxpayer-backed bailouts that saved what we would call too-big-to-fail corporations. Inside of the Dodd-Frank Act is a provision that takes that power away from government. No longer can we use taxpayer funds to bail out a financial institution, what they labeled a sci-fi, to basically a too-big-to-fail institution, which isn't just banks, it's also broker-dealers, where banks are now responsible to use their own balance sheet to get them out of trouble. There's So post-08. So there's this concept now that I'm hearing a little bit more about called bail-ins where banks are now responsible for getting themselves out of trouble. And if they can't, the FDIC comes in and takes over. And in theory, potentially anything above the $250,000 FDIC threshold could be at risk. You know what that reminds me of? What? How the insurance industry has operated for 100 and something years in this country. Right. How they right? backed each other. How they backed each other well, in, the in a very simple way is in the brotherhood of the insurance industry is if somebody starts to fumble and go down, 
the others have to kind of prop them back up because, frankly, the whole insurance industry would go down. Right. Well, and the insurance industry gets to use the G word, right? They get to use the word guarantee when they contractually are obligated to providing you something in exchange for the dollar you give them. They are allowed to use the word guarantee because of that tribalism that they've created, that sense of, yeah, we're competing on a day-to-day basis. But when somebody's going out of business, we as an industry need to rally around that. I would suspect that the banking industry, for the sake of preserving the entire banking industry, would would likely be the same. But given how reserve requirements, because I think a big part of what would determine the solvency of a bank's ability to make good on the deposits and the promises. I mean, you and I are creditors, unsecured creditors of the banks that we do business with. Sure. And when you look at the list in the Dodd-Frank bill of when that person gets paid back, it's pretty low on the list. Mm-hmm. So I think this idea of capital requirements, reserve requirements that the Federal Reserve is bringing back into the banking system is something longer term that's going to be a healthier banking system. That really scared the you-know-what out of me when reserve requirements were brought to zero after COVID to let people borrow and borrow and borrow and borrow. Yeah, and, and but, but that's, that's how we got ourselves a little bit into this mess of an overheated, overstimulated economy is, you know, we gave away six or eight trillion trillion dollars. Yeah. We took interest rates to zero. Yeah. We took federal reserve requirements to zero. Yeah. And we just said we are in a very classic spend your way out of this kind of thing. Yeah. That was the strategy. Okay. That ship sailed. Now we're, we're starting to rectify some of these conditions. The last of which in terms of that classic economic monetary policy is the Federal Reserve can either buy assets or they can stop buying assets. Right. You've heard that in the, in the news as either quantitative easing or quantitative tightening. Right. Quantitative just as in the assets that the Federal Reserve has that they buy or they sell. You and I have spent several hours in the last week talking with some of the biggest brains in in the bond market, in the fixed income market. That's, I mean, they they study this stuff. Whew. Oh, I always the way I, you I, study golf and the way I oh, study baseball. I just, I there's something I love about talking with a very experienced fixed income bond trader. Oh, they're the smartest people in our business, no doubt. No doubt. They got into some granularity that would even make my head was spinning. Your your head spin and yeah. the eyes roll up in my head. Yeah. There there's a whole process behind what the Fed is doing right now in terms of just letting bonds that they have on their own balance sheet just mature. Right. And just but not repurchase. So that is a tightening in a sense because they're not continuing to, you know, buy and and if you will, support or some might say prop up certain parts of the of the market, whether it be the bond market or the even some well as they some as, stocks. As they buy stuff, right? Whether it's government bonds or now for the first time ever in history, they've been buying corporate bonds. Yep. And equities and stock, yep. right? Some first time stuff. Artificial as they buy demand. that stuff, right. It it they're buying it on their balance sheet in the form of bonds. It's a loan. So as they take on that IOU, they're putting cash, right? They take the bond in exchange for money, which goes back to the Fed, which is distributed, or goes back to the U- United States, which is distributed, and that creates money that never really existed before. And by not making those purchases anymore, they're slowing down the supply of money that's in the system. Right. That's a tightening of the monetary policy, Right. Those are the three levers that we've talked about in terms of what's very traditional. And now, you know, in terms of 
our role as individuals and our role here on on in financial sobriety land on what what can we do about it? Right. right? We don't have any control over this. We've right. talked about how there's some pain of discipline involved in terms of looking at where your your goes outs are going and having to make some hard hard calls on that. It can be infuriating to sit back and watch somebody else who I have no control over try to dictate the outcome of my financial well-being. I could spend hours in my own head getting squirrely on, is Jay Powell going to make the right call? Is he going to do this interest rate hike thing the right way? Are they doing it the right way when it comes to the asset purchases or redemptions or just not buying? Are they are they doing the right thing with the reserve requirements? I could spin. Oh yeah, for will days they be able watching, to soft land? Right, as they like to watching say. CNN, watching Fox, whatever your flavor of TV, whether it's a red flavor or a blue flavor, it whatever that flavor is, we could spin for days. And and this is why this part of the conversation I think was so important because it allows us to take back some choice and control over how I as an individual can go through some personal lifestyle deflation to insulate myself from the uncertainty of all these uncontrollables out there. That's that's the lever. That's the best the personal lever. Personal lever. That's the personal lever that you have control over. Yes. Is lifestyle deflation. That's a fun word and I'm going slowly and pausing on it so you can chew on it for a second. In a different way, it is figuring out how you spend less. Don't spit it out, chew on it. I want to spit it out when you say those words, but well, they're not, we're going they're to not, chew on it. They're not tasty. No. <laughs> right? They're not Nick's tacos. No, they are not. Right. They are the antithesis or antithesis of Nick's tacos. So there's other tools in the tool bag that, we, that we've talked about that, to help with that. But it is, I mean, it's a really good exercise to go through. And we, you know, in that whole conversation around running your business, running your family like a business, looking at the goes outs, right? Looking at the profit and loss statement. I have this much that comes in from many, many, many families. That's a fixed number every month. Mm-hmm. You have a fixed, you have a lot of fixed expenses every month. And then you have variable expenses, like what we, what we like to call the foundational expenses. And then the fun coupons. Oh, I love fun coupons. Who does? Well, where do I get more fun coupons? <laughs> that's what, that's what I want to know. Work, 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 work. That's, that exercise, I mean, I can't stress it enough. And if you're blessed with a rainy Saturday, why not get out the bank statement? Why not get online with your financial institution and go through that primary checking account and start to look at all the transactions? And I, I bet, I bet you will have a level of nausea that comes over you with the, oh my God, I can't believe we spend... I'm, really? Yeah. That's where does it all go? Oh, that's where it, oh my God, that's where it all goes. That yeah. is not, it's not a pleasant exercise, but it's a very powerful exercise in kind of riding the ship and getting mm. in the direction of having some discipline so that you can say no, you can start saying no. Well, see, you're, you're going to tell me something about what I need to do after I go through that exercise. After I go through, which, which I've done, I've done recently, because again, if, if we're going to encourage our financial sobriety family to go through this exercise, then I'm going to do it too. So I went through the data and I looked and I saw again, although we're a lot better than we used to be, there are still a number of expenses myself and everybody in my family has contributed to that are like, are you kidding me? Are we, are we really dropping nickels on this kind of stuff? And I know what you're going to tell me I need to do next. Go out to dinner. <laughs> 
<laughs> it could. No. But what does that dinner facilitate? Mm. We are going to go out to dinner tonight to celebrate well, certainly. something. That's but, but what a do we, worthy celebration. What do we need to do with this data once we have our eyeballs on it? We need to talk about it. We need to talk about it. Within our family. Okay. Th this and is, get out the red pencil. This is where I get stuck. The hardest thing in the world for me to do is be vulnerable with Amy, Miles, and Lucas when it comes to this stuff. When it comes to... Is it vulnerable? Yes. When it, Because of your spend? There's a part of me, and again, I know this is my ego. Uh, I, I know this is a huge raging component of my ego that gets really hard to face my family. And in my head, it's screaming, you loser, you can't provide for, you can't do this for your family. And now you've got to go to your family and tell them we, you know, the, the article from Yahoo Finance, one in three families this summer. We're canceling vacation plans. And we talked about the vulnerability that that has to take for a mom and or a dad within a family to sit down and, and have this incredibly vulnerable conversation about what we're not capable of doing this summer when we're sitting here looking on Instagram and it seems like everybody's going to Italy this summer. Well, why can't we go to Italy this summer? Because it's really expensive. Because it's really expensive, and I don't want to go into more debt to go to Italy, which I'm sure many other families mindlessly made that choice to go into more debt to do that. I have a simple solution to your problem. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what's that? Uh, you are one of the most brilliant reframers I've ever seen. You can take pretty much anything and flip it, reframe it into positive scenario. That's a, such a better description than the way I used to hear that. That's yeah. wonderful. Thank well, I'm, you. I'm on my meds today. <laughs> From spin doctor to reframer. Right. I reframer. Like I like that. In the context of going through that, and, and believe me, I have my moments where I don't feel as though I'm a good provider. Yeah, I feel like a crappy sense. dad when I got to do that. But is it not anything more than reframing the conversation on where we're trying to go? Oh, we, I, we are trying to go in this direction. We are currently off course. Mr. Right. Airline pilot, tell me what happens when we're off course. Do we land on the air that on, on the runway that we're intended? Yeah, I just I need the autopilot system that he's got to constantly get me back on course. We all do. <sighs> we all do. Everything you're telling me, I know to be true. And I even know like where we're going with this conversation. I so know that this is true. Even though I know how the story ends and where this episode is going and what we're going to be talking about, even though I know that, I can still very quickly get into this scarcity mindset that somehow I have failed as a provider because right. I have to sit down and have a hard conversation with my family. And we're three degrees off course and you hit the autopilot button and you are snapping back on trajectory. Thank God we have an autopilot program within our private wealth management practice. Yeah. It's not quite an autopilot program. There's a little bit of manual. You got to access it and get to it and use it. You have to engage it. I almost feel like our autopilot program that you and I have developed is a program that can work as long as you engage it each and every day. And I find that some days I forget to engage it. That's natural. Yeah. But I, I, I want to just stay for a moment on this concept of autopilot. Yeah. Because when I feel that way, when any of us feel that way, right? When Beth and I are talking about, well, holy smokes, where did all, where did all this money go that, that came in at the beginning of the month and it's the 20th of the month? Now, we are in the middle of building a monument to ourselves with a remodel. 
<laughs> so there's a multitude of places where it can go for that. Do I get a little buttress in that somewhere? You're you're one of the reframers. Oh, fabulous. The point to autopilot is that, and we could have Miles on talking about this, not that he gets to use autopilot right now, but it's on most of the time because we are off course most of the time. Say more. That's the whole reason the pilot uses it, is you can't possibly hand fly the plane that minutely because a one or a two degree off course over a long journey is going to get you, I don't know, there's math behind this. It's going to get you 10, hundreds 20, of hundreds of miles off, miles off course. Sure, sure. Simple. That's the same reason we are going to spend most of our time financially off course. We're going to spend most of our time with our diet and our exercise and our hydration and our rest and our meditating and our all the stuff that we are encouraged to do, most of the time we are going to be off course. Part of this soliloquy is for my own benefit because I too am off course in so many of these areas. That's the human condition. I appreciate your soliloquy. I'm grateful for it because I felt like Sisyphus pushing the rock uphill. And I'm wow, we are pulling out. Uh -huh. We are pulling out the stops today. <laughs> Thank you. Thank God you weren't Icarus. Because <laughs> that would have been messy. <laughs> the wax wings and everything that would have been what a uh, what a mess that would be. Oh, that was the hardest laugh I've had in a couple of days. I can tell. That was a good one. I think I peed myself a little bit on that one. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, you know, the fact that you and I have that autopilot. Now, we, we call it the clarity compass. Mm -hmm. It helps me when I get in that headspace of I'm a failed provider. I'm a loser. That That's just a natural place for my head to go from very early on in my life. And this idea of our clarity compass, it gives me confidence to be vulnerable. It gives me permission to feel okay to be vulnerable because what it does is it reminds me of where I'm going. It reminds me of what on track looks like. It shows me how to, and, and, and it doesn't just show me where it is. It shows me how to get back on course. Some of the, the deepest gratitude I have right now in this moment is that when my head gets like this and, I, and the feelings, right, because my head can hijack these feelings and turn them into crazy thoughts, I know where to go to right size. I know where to go to get back to center. And it's this clarity compass where we become incredibly clear on the people, places, experiences that mean the most to us, those oh, core I'm not, values. I'm not just buying this on Amazon? Right. Well, not mindlessly. You might oh, it's intend- not a, It's not a gizmo I can buy. It's a- Oh, you mean the clarity compass? Yeah. Well, there, there's a part of getting to the clarity compass that when we actually go through the exercise of the compass, which I think we're gonna do here together in an episode or two, there is a component we're gonna have you go on Amazon and buy so that you can participate in that with us. But no, this is not something that you can just go out and purchase. This is something that you have to go through, or at least in, in, in our case, it's some pretty hard work every can I, day. Can I slow the, the roll for a second? Sure. We've talked about the rain. Yes. Right? We've talked about Miles accomplishing an incredible achievement with flying. Yes. When you're driving and you don't have very good visibility, how do you drive? <laughs> does it change your driving? Yeah. Does do, do you hesitate at all? Or do you just go barreling 82 miles an hour down the road? I tend to slow down. Ah. I tend to slow down. And if, I mean, I'm not a pilot. 
Well, Miles would tell you he uses his instruments. He's got instruments for that. Right. But if you're looking out the windshield of the aeroplane. And you don't have instruments. And you don't have instruments and you don't have any clarity. He's putting the plane on the ground. Right. You're stuck. Yeah. He would he would tell you without an instrument rating, it's required by law when you have less than five miles of visibility, the plane goes on the ground. Period. No ifs, ands, or buts. Could you repeat that, please? If you have less than five miles of visibility as a pilot. As a pilot. Without instrument ratings to allow you to use the instruments, you are required by federal law to put the plane on the ground. And now changing context lately. When most clients come see us for the first time, do they have five miles of visibility? Oh, gosh, no. Right. So the whole reason we named it the Clarity Compass is so often that's what people are searching for, is clarity. In our context, it's financial clarity and the bells and whistles that kind of accompany all that. But without the clarity, you're stuck. So the reason you're using the autopilot analogy, which I think is brilliant, is this is a way to unstuck. This is a way once you have clarity, and what does a compass do? A compass gives you direction. Right. Right. You right. know, you're you clear know on the direction. You're clear on the direction yeah. of where you're headed. Yeah. So that's just to pick it apart for a second, that's the why behind this. Why go through this exercise? Why go through the process? of getting clarity on your mon on the money story in both your head, in your heart, and then with the people that are the most important to you is so that you know where you're going. Right. If you don't know where you're going, how does that end up? That's what's made it an easier conversation. That's what's allowed me, even though I felt uncomfortable, right? I've, I've just, I'm letting that discomfort be there we're having those conversations. Amy and I had that conversation over the weekend before coming into studio, knowing that for her 50th birthday yesterday, she was getting a $21,000 birthday present in the form of a new HVAC system. Come on, Mr. Reframer. <laughs> it's a remnant of the space shuttle. That That's true. Because I do think the the exterior Almost piece... Almost looks like the, no, the nose piece. It could, it could be, but it... it it does look like a piece that would have fallen off when the when the rocket and the space shuttle separate. I know Amy well enough that I'm sure she's been coveting that for her 50th birthday for many years. Well, knowing that the 90s are coming back this weekend, we are very excited to play with our new toy. Oh, I thought you meant like the decade. No, no, no. I wish. Oh, <laughs> oh. Lucas spent a weekend sharing with me how he wished he grew up in the 80s and 90s like you and I did. No, no. The, the Well, the 90s will come back just with the music we play and the attitude we bring in the house. I mean. But the 90s, temperature-wise, are coming back into Northern California. We're getting a little, what do they call it? Indigenous summer. Indigenous summer. Okay. So summer summer is coming back with a little reminder that it hasn't completely gone away, even though today is officially the first day of fall. Yes. Happy September fall. September 21st. Right. Summer just wants to hang on. So, so we're looking forward to playing with Amy's birthday toy. That birthday toy has forced us to have some conversation about what's really important to us financially going forward. Because throughout the summer, with some of the health stuff we've been dealing at home, we've we've kind of thrown financial sobriety out the window intentionally, where we've eaten out more. We've used convenience a little bit more. We've even used, dare I say, DoorDash a few times this summer. What? Uh-huh. I tried what? Instacart for the first time this summer. 
once. I'll never use it again. Why? Because I got about half the things I ordered. Oh. That was very frustrating. That is frustrating. Yes. So we allowed that to happen because we needed to. But now we need to get the autopilot engaged and come back to yeah, back on course. this conversation of where are we going? So let's revisit where are we going longer term? What are the values that mean the most to us? And then how do we align our current financial resources to support that? Rather than coming at it from the angle of, oh, I'm such a loser. I couldn't provide my for my family properly. Now we got to cut all this stuff out. All right, guys, sit down. Come on in. Let's look at the balance sheet. Okay, no more Starbucks, no more this, no more that, no more gas in your car, no more, no more, no more, no more. Scarcity. It is scarcity. very easy, very easy to go there. That doesn't work for my family. A, because dad becomes this lecturing a-hole, and all of a sudden now I'm trying to control and manipulate the behavior within my family, which... Anytime, I don't know if your experience is Oh, the that same. goes really well. Yeah, when I That's try to get people to do what I want them to do, brings they me pure joy. tend to go the opposite direction. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So when you approach the conversation through the lenses of a clarity compass, where you're clear on where we're going, and your family is in alignment with you on that clarity, their values may be a little different, right? We're all little snowflakes. We're all individuals with our own views on the world and our own needs and wants and how we see things and experience things. So there might be a little bit of difference, but as a family, generally our family clarity compass is moving in the same direction. When the team is on the same page, yes, it is powerful. Yes. Little and, color, little color commentary example on this, right? You're telling your story. I'm in my head with my story. Yeah, of course. So do you know what last week represented? And granted, we're in studio and this isn't going to roll for a few few more days. Besides the 37th week <clears> of the year? So it's September 14th. Do you know the, oh, the order, the the significance I, behind September 14th? I do, but I, I would love you to share the story again. That okay. a big, I'm guessing we're going back to 2008? Yes. Yes, Very we good. Are. <laughs> so Monday, September 14th was an extraordinary day in history. That was the day that Lehman Brothers, Merrill Lynch, and AIG all said kaput. Yeah. Four days later... Mr. Grant Gebhardt was born. He's no longer little. That little guy turned 14, <laughs> no, right? He is my he he is my annual reminder of that unbelievably tragic week in American history from a financial standpoint. As I have said a number of times, our house is being torn up and we're in the middle of a remodel. And we have talked with the the kids, with the family about, you know, look, this is things some things have to change because of what we're outlaying here and we're using a combination of cash and debt and the debt doesn't feel very good because interest rates are going up. So yep. the conversation around we need to tighten the belt on stuff is working and here's how it's working. I don't know what it is with birthdays in my family. Like we know they're coming, right? But they always catch us off guard. Oh, from a planning perspective, August brother has caught you and me off guard as long as I've known you. And we know about it every well, year. It's September now. August into September. I know, I'm being right. silly. Birthday season, back to school into birthday season. Granto, what do you want to do for your birthday? Oh, I, boy, I I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Okay, well, we, we kind of need to know because we got to plan your birthday. This is like, you know, 10 days in advance. I mean, even though we know the birthday's coming months and months in advance. Sure. And I was like, hey, why don't we do one of those video game trucks? We've got our friend Rob that 
also, you know, masquerades as an estate attorney, although mm. he's a seasoned, very accomplished estate attorney. He's got this video game truck business where they come to the house with a big old truck and it's loaded with a whole bunch of screens and all the coolest, latest video games and the kids go piling in. And this is like, it, it, it's maybe not the rage today, mm. but it certainly was the rage over the last like five years. Okay. And I'd see these trucks all over town and... You know, if you if it, I'm stereotyping that it was mostly young young teenage boys that would love to do this, so hey Grant, how about how your birthday's on a Sunday? Let's let's get one of the video game trucks. You've got CYO basketball evaluations till two. We could have the truck come at four. The truck's there for two hours, and it's Sunday night football. I know how much you enjoy NFL football. Have your buddies come over. Pizza, wings, football, birthday cake, sayonara. Mm -hmm. Oh, that sounds really good, Dad. I'll say, okay, great. So I'll I'll do your your homework is to come up with the list of the buds, and my homework is to go find a truck that's available in ten days. Great. A couple days later, two three days later. Hey, Grant, how you doing with that that list of people? Well, can I talk to you for a second, Dad? And he's really not like that. Yeah, bud. What? Well, I was thinking. We don't need to do the video truck. What are you talking about? It's your it's your birthday. Ah, eh, that's money we don't need to spend. Wow. I didn't say, but let, just for the record, uh -huh. Your uh, Honor, that was Grant, not that you. That was Grant that said that, not me. Or not me. Was that West? Was that Grant channeling his inner West? <laughs> Whatever it was. Whatever it was. That came out of the mouth of a fourteen-year-old. It was a boy. wise fourteen-year-old big boy comment. And I would attribute it to the fact that it's been because we've been having the conversations around the team, right? Yeah. The Gebhardt family team also has Gebhardt family finances as part of the team. Yeah. And but while we were, while Beth and I were willing to spend the money on that, he said he wasn't, he wasn't comfortable. He was going to feel uncomfortable with us spending the money on that, knowing just look, look around. It doesn't take much to look around and see everything shredded. Right. To realize, you know, there's there's a couple bucks going into yeah, this house. Yeah, I mean, house. that one beam over there was probably more than 400 bucks, right? right? Right. The way you just said that and the way you shared the way Grant shared that with you, there's an important thing, I think, to point out here is that Grant didn't say that from a space of scarcity, meaning... We don't have, we can't. He said it from a standpoint of abundance in a sense that, no, no, our money is allocated here and this is more important for us right now. This is money we just, we don't need to spend right now. Tell me if I'm reading no, that wrong. Would, but that's, it, that's, the, a, that's a wonderful I, I distinction get, in, in, in picking it apart. When you share stories, especially when you're sharing about Grant, you two have a chemistry that when you share about him, it's almost like you are him. So your body language reflects how he would share it. Gotcha. Right? You guys have a similar thing like that. So I just, I got a sense that that was not a him kind of feeling bad or even resentful that we can't do it. But just, uh, yeah, no, our priorities are different, Dad. I, I don't think we should do this. Let's let's have our resources somewhere else. I, That's freaking fantastic. Oh, it was just amazing. And I... I told him then and I told him later that I just, you know, what what an incredibly mature thought, right, to be able to put all that together and then to be able to express that, you know, I just, I, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't feel comfortable. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
So, a, you know, certainly a, a diatribe, but I think a powerful story. I'm pretty excited about doing the actual Clarity Compass exercise here in studio. Yeah, we got to figure out our victim. I would like to nominate Ace because he's never been through it yet. But we can also, you know, I can take you through it again. You can take me through it again. I'm really looking forward to taking Ace through this. And I, I would even maybe suggest or tee up inviting Teresa into studio with us that day and taking you both through at least the initial stages of the Clarity Compass exercise because there are really two major components to the Clarity Compass. First is just that process of uncovering what your real core values are in life. Now, for me, I I haven't officially, well, your little secret, I have not gone through the Clarity Compass yes, that's, officially that's, myself. That's why I was curious when you said again. I was like, well, no, be, no, because we, I, haven't, we haven't done it. Well, hang on. I'm gonna, we haven't officially done it, but where does all this stuff come from that you and I talk about here in studio, these things that we've named, like our wealth formation experience and the bag of crap experience and, you know, the clarity compass piece and the top of the mountain, all these different components to what we do. Well, it's either Tony Robbins, Susie Orman, or Dave Ramsey. <laughs> Fortunately, <clears throat> we haven't ripped any of them off. These are all from personal experiences of what we've gone through. And to me, the clarity compass is really a process-driven, repeatable autopilot thing that I went through unintentionally when I had to go from spending $27,000 a month to $7,000 a month. I had to get really clear on what was most essential to me as a human being for me to feel any ounce of hope moving forward, that I could possibly have any kind of happiness and joy in my life. Because the way I was wired, a $27,000 lifestyle bought me lots of what I thought was happiness in the, sure, at the time. Sure, sure, comfort. And to, and to go from that to seven, you just ruined my life. Yes, so getting really clear. And yet here you are. And yet here I am. Still. So I got very clear on the fact that my health, my tribe, my financial security, and my ability to experience adventure were the four most important things to me that I needed to keep my money in alignment with. And going through that, I mean, this was all in my head and through some of the paper exercises, the writing exercises you had me do, Jim Kelly had me do, Glenn's had me do, and then... It's like, wait a minute, we're not the only ones in the world experiencing this event in life where our financial lives completely take a 90-degree turn and go in a different direction, right? The, your story may not be my story, but the effect of your story may have similar consequences to your finances. So taking that 90-degree turn and getting super clear on what you need to breathe as a human being is super important going through this lifestyle deflation exercise. Particularly with the backdrop of what's going on in the world today oh. and what's likely to go on for a while. Absolutely. Yeah. So should could we spend just to wrap up the episode for this week, a couple of minutes on my four key values, and then that might tee up. Hit it. Bringing Ace and Teresa into studio to do this like full bore so you can see what the process was like. My four... The, the most essential values in my life, my health, my tribe, my financial security, and my sense of adventure. I talked about the two big components to the Clarity Compass, right? One is identifying that, but the second part is seeing how those show up in our lives. Like, what, what does that mean to me? What does health mean to me? Right. Right? For me, that's mental, physical, 
and emotional health as well as my sobriety, right? That is the most important thing to me is my health, my mind, my body, and being sober in every aspect of my life. Because without those things, I've got nothing else. I can't show up and be even half the person I feel like I'm capable of being if I don't have those things, especially when it comes to the second core value in my life, which is my tribe. I can't be for my tribe what I want to be if I don't have physical, emotional, mental health and sobriety. But now when I talk about my tribe, how that shows up in life and where my financial resources come into play is I define my tribe as my family of choosing the people in my life that bring me great joy when I spend time with them. And as it relates to my financial well-being is I've got to be able to put a roof over my house to have a place called sanctuary with those people. So there's some financial implications to how I define tribe. It's, it's a combination of my people and a roof over my, ha- my head mm-hmm. to give us a place, right, to congregate, to be together. Financial security, boy, that means something different to almost every human being I meet. For me, financial security is about knowing I'm not going to lose the roof over my head because I've got cash in the bank, because I'm not living paycheck to paycheck. You and I have an unbelievably wonderful business that is incredibly successful that people have told us are, are wor- it's worth a couple of bucks. Yeah. So when I look at my net worth, we just went through this exercise of looking at our personal balance sheet on paper. That a baby. I got a really good that a baby. net worth, right? That's but it, not an exercise you've done too many times no. in our in our time together. No, I haven't. Yeah. And How I did, was Oh, slow down, slow down. How did that feel? It felt great. Don't speed bump over it. It felt great. Yeah. To see progress. Progress and a meaningful net worth on paper. Right. That, however, does not contribute to my feeling of financial security, okay. to my personal value of financial security. Mm, that's interesting. Because there's something about what you and I do, I just, I have faith in. I, I just, I do. To, tomorrow, I'm not worried about tomorrow financially, down the road financially. I'm worried about tomorrow as in Thursday. If I don't have money in a savings account telling me that I can handle a $21,000 unexpected expense, be that money savings in the bank or even available credit on a home equity line, whatever that is, having purchasing power yeah. makes me feel financially secure. Yeah, I get it. Because what that also does is it allows me to have a sense of adventure. Adventure is super important to me and it looks like this. I've got to have something I'm looking forward to. I am very much the same way. I'm if, an anchor. Yeah. If I, like I don't anchor have- in the future on- Events on the calendar, yeah. right? If I don't have something on the calendar that I can look forward to, and this doesn't have to be some grandiose, we're going to Italy. No, 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 no. My mom and dad are coming out for a visit right. on Friday. Yeah, they your son's have, coming home tonight. My after son's a, coming home tonight. A fortnight. We're going to a Mets A's game on Saturday. Yeah. These are all things that I look incredibly forward to. Yeah. They're adventure to me, right? I just, I have to have that. These four things are what allow me to sit down with my family and be vulnerable and take the risk of having this conversation about, hey guys, let's write the ship. Let's look at these four things that mean the absolute world to us as a family. And let's make sure our finances are in alignment with that. And that is what the Clarity Compass is all about. Also known as the autopilot feature. <laughs> on this financial on sobriety 747 financial plane. Sobriety 
dashboard <laughs> is when that is engaged, you have the, the ultimate tool in our tool book to get you back on track because we're going to spend most of our time off course, just how life is. Don't need to fight it. Don't get all wrapped up in it. Just recognize it when it happens and realize that you have to get back on track, whether it be financially, whether it be nutritionally, whether it be with your rest, your sobriety, your hydration, your relationships, whatever it is, that's how we do it. Boy, brother, I am super grateful for this talk therapy session. You've definitely helped me greatly. And I'm going to go dance in the rain. Beautiful. Keep it coming. And with that, that's a wrap. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety, I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.